0: one of the major ones at Australian Sydney Fashion Week was when we got a standing ovation and for people to give us a standing ovation and for people to be moved with tears. I remember standing in the wings of the show in our host's arm and I was like, I just said to him like, holy shit, we're going to make change in this country through fashion.
1: Hey, welcome to the Lady Brains podcast. We're your hosts, Caitlin Judd and Anna McKenzie co-founders of Lady Brains, a digital and IRL club for female founders and founders-to-be. We're chasing down the most successful female entrepreneurs from around the globe, not only to hear their life story, but to extract their knowledge and world-class insights. If you're smart, savvy, and ambitious, then Lady Brain, you are in the
2: right place. Get ready for a dose of inspo, hard-hitting truths, and actionable insights. Strap in.
1: Our next guests, Grace Lillian Lee and TJ Callashaw, are from First Nations Fashion and Design, a not-for-profit organisation that creates opportunities for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people within the fashion industry. We first met Grace and TJ backstage at Afterpay Australian Fashion Week in June of this year. They produced the First Nations Fashion and Design Runway, the first ever Indigenous show to be part of the Fashion Week program. It was a beautiful and symbolic moment. Their show made up 65% of all Fashion Week media coverage, reaching over 77 million people. We spoke to Grace and TJ about how they pulled off the runway show with just four months to prep, what makes their partnership work so beautifully, and how the organization is impacting the lives of creatives right around Australia.
0: My name is Grace Lillian Lee, and I'm a descendant of the Miriam Myrrh people of the Eastern Islands of the Torres Straits. I explore my lineage through the act of weaving and I'm coming to you from Gimoi country in Far North Queen- Queensland. Well, it actually started for me when I was very young. I was 17 and I started making hats and I set up a millinery business. Which I haven't, I don't really talk about that that often, but that's how I started, which was making hats for people to go to the races, because my mum would go to the races. And then I got into obviously making fashion and I didn't get into university. So I went to TAFE for a year and then I finally got into university and I went to RMIT in Melbourne and did my four years in fashion design. So. Yeah. And then I eventually got an internship with Mimco and Witchery, and finally got a job whilst I was also a waitress (laughs) at the MCG. (laughs) Uh, So, very Melbourne's like a second home to me. I worked for Mimco and realized that that wasn't the business that I wanted to be in. I had more of a purpose, and I felt that, you know, I wasn't into it. It was soul destroying for me, to be completely honest. And yeah, I decided to move back home to Cairns and set up a small incubator that utilized the machines that were sitting idle at the TAFE for people to set up their own small businesses, but also have a pop-up in our local um, Lendley shopping center. So it's, I've always been focused on like community, like supporting community to be a part of the fashion sector and self-determination, I guess.
1: And TJ, what about yourself? How do you fit within the picture? And then also, how do you two know each other? I'd love to get to that point as well.
3: Well, I'll start off that I'm a Niggata woman from the Kimberley regions and I've got paternal connections to the Bardi and Nyo people. And I grew up between Darwin, Broome and Perth. So, I, you know, growing up on many countries from Larrakir to Yaru to Noongar country, just really understanding, have different families and different mobs and, you know, we're, we're all very different from all around the country. How do I know Miss Grace oh um, We <laughs> met in 2013 when I was approached by all the perks who at that stage was doing the Australian Indigenous Fashion Week design program where they selected 10 was a 10 of us from around Australia where we would fly into Sydney every month and be mentored by an industry professional and the whole point of it is that they were reaching out to visual artists or artists to go into fashion design and that's why I kind of stepped down that I met this fabulous woman and we did Australian Indigenous Fashion Week in 2014 and then from then on we continued you know, our journeys alongside each other, constantly, like, connecting but not really, like, doing anything. And I always said to her, it's inevitable, one day <laughs> we will do something, you just wait and, hey, how many times you're like, no, 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 I'm happy just to do my own thing and.
0: Yeah, I was a bit fearful because we're friends and I was like, it's kind of like housemates, don't live with your friends. <laughs> <laughs> like, become friends you know, that's what I think anyway. That's well, that's my experience. So
2: we're business partners, best friends, and we used to be housemates as well. So go figure that
0: out. Did you become best friends because you lived together or were you best friends prior? We were
1: <laughs> best friends first.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, then okay. you guys were meant to be. Yeah. <laughs> Love it first time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't
2: it funny like when you meet somebody like that and you're in a similar industry and you're both creative and you sort of just vibe off each other, it sounds like that you both just connected and there was something (laughs) going on there and, you know, did you always know that there was going going to be something that you would do together?
3: I did, she didn't. No, I was
0: like protective of our relationship as friends. I was like, "Ah." and I think also at the time, like I've been working for a lot of organizations. So I was the founder of the Cairns Indigenous Art Fair Fashion Performance and then went on to work for the Darwin Aboriginal Art Fair for From Country to Couture and built that up for three years. So I think I felt concerned that I was you know growing these platforms within other organizations and I knew I wanted to work for an independent organization that was focused in this space it wasn't you know Tegan came to the Commonwealth Games when I was producing the show there in 2018 and she flew herself there to the point where she even sponsored the musicians to be there in the show and I was like, okay, Tegan's pretty committed. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yep. I'm dedicated for this course. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah, she's like, showing yeah. up. Yeah.
0: And so, yeah, and then she came on board for when we launched First Nations Fashion Design at the Darwin Aboriginal Art Fair in their pop-up stores. So we just had a soft launch um, alongside Lisa Gorman's first collaboration with Munkajar, mind you. So wow. that was pretty cool. But Tegan kept saying, "Are you ready to jump yet because this this is we got to do this." And I think at that point, I'd already established First Nations fashion and design as an indigenous corporation, but we hadn't um, established the board and it was just more of a it was a legal entity, but it hadn't been fully fleshed out yet. so well,
2: firstly, can you tell us a little bit about what First Nations fashion design is and what you Have set out to do?
0: Yeah. So basically, First Nations Fashion and Design is an Indigenous corporation that's a non for profit. And it's really just set up to establish and support the growth of the ecology of the Indigenous fashion sector. So that's what we've been doing.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Really, really targeting building. Is it the designers? Is it the models? Is it the graphic designers? Is it the creatives? Is it the dancers? performers, musicians.
0: We need to exist within the Australian fashion sector and not just as like a tokenistic individual. We need to be a community that is united and supportive because we have quite a few different responsibilities to ensure like our cultural integrity and that we're presenting ourselves within the industry in a way that we see is... Culturally appropriate, and also to support mob who, like, I think the industry is very green to First Nations people. And I think that, you know, to have a community like First Nations Fashion and Design, which Tegan likes to call that we're a big family, is really important to ensure the longevity of these people's careers within the industry. Other, because we're not a trend. And I think that that's a huge part of why we're existing.
1: And do you think for the inspiration for FNFD, was that starting to percolate in your mind while you were working on the incubator in Cairns?
0: It's pretty crazy. I think it's just happened naturally and progressively over what I was being engaged to do. So I don't think I was consciously thinking about that when I left Melbourne to set up the incubator in Cairns. But my career evolved from because community were reaching out to me because I'd explored my lineage through fashion and that they were like, we want to do the same. And so because I was like getting subcontracted to work for these communities as an individual and I could see the growth, but I felt like it was limited to what I could deliver and give to them. And then I was being subcontracted, you know, in Sydney and Melbourne and Adelaide to do workshops and I'd always connect with industry, whether it be from universities to fashion houses and things like that. And there was this groundswell of conversations happening where it was like something has to, something needs to be done. And well, at that point in time, the fashion shows were really the leading Indigenous fashion platforms, I felt, but I didn't feel like they were committed to really growing the sector. That was their event.
3: And that's why I pushed you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Ooh. And so, yeah, I think once um, Tegan was like, are you going to do this? But, you know, it was scary as well because you think, I should just stick with my
3: contract work and Mm. (laughs) survive. (laughs) But that was the hardest thing is because that you didn't know but it was happening on the same side, like, on the other side of the country. So then I was doing workshops not as extensive as Grace but going in and doing more entrepreneurs, startups, setting setting it up, like, business-wise and Grace is doing, like, the creative-wise and I'm trying to set up, like, small businesses and communities
0: yeah because TJ wanted to set up something quite similar in Western Australia but Western Australia also hasn't been as supportive as Queensland and the eastern coast states so in regards to funding and grants and things like that so I was like, TJ, don't go up against me. Work with me. Right, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly.
3: Like what mm. and, and why would I? I was like, do you know what? The for- what do I say? You know, our combined forces together were magical. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we just kept on having those conversations. And I think our dream we were dreaming about this idea of having a representative in each state. Who knows? It might still happen. So <laughs> So
2: what was the vision at that stage? Obviously you were both on the ground, you were speaking to a lot of people, you recognised that there was a problem in terms of, um, you know, pathways and opportunities for First Nations people within the fashion sector and also an opportunity to really kind of raise the profile of the Indigenous community within fashion. But what was the vision? Like what were you hoping to create? (laughs)
3: It's like um, a revolution, but she's like, <laughs> no, we're dreaming too big. And I'm like, do you know what? We've got to dream big, right?
0: Totally. Yeah. Yeah, I think we couldn't have imagined like I'm pretty low-key, so I don't <laughs> like <it. laughs>
1: Okay, you guys sound uh like you had to come and meet somewhere in the, in the middle. middle?
2: <laughs> yeah, like I, I want a revolution. Yeah, I'm, I'm a gonna... bit low-key. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um well I guess like I feel like it's hard cuz we're definitely I think we're quite active in being quite loud and proud about what we're achieving mm-hmm. but I think that realistically the foundations of the organization is about our grassroots community engagement and yeah. like staying true to our communities Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. So I think that the fashion industry can be such flashy lights and Mm -hmm. um, can be quite a daunting place to exist in. And I think First Nations fashion and design has so much more meaning to it than what I think we could have imagined. We didn't realize the impacts that it was going to create on an individual level, on a national level, and on an industry level. Like we didn't realize the industry would embrace us so much because to be honest, it felt like they weren't. <laughs> um, but then everything changed.
1: So you just said it yourself, you know, you wanted to set out and you wanted to have significant impact on the industry, but to create and open up those pathways, um, to create more opportunity When did you really see or feel that you were creating that impact? Was there a moment in the journey that you were like, yes, like these (laughs) conversations are starting to happen, this is exactly why we're doing what we're doing?
0: I think there's been many. yeah. But I think that for like one of the major ones at Australian Sydney Fashion Week was when we got a standing ovation and for people to give us a standing ovation and for people to be moved with tears I remember standing in the wings of the show in our host's arm and I was like I just said to him like holy shit we're gonna make change in this country through fashion for me that was a because I feel like I've been doing this for a decade I've been working towards this for a decade we both have been I think for it to be at Australian Fashion Week and for the fashion industry to see it and understand and not just think we're a theatrical performance, but we've got incredible, you've got so much um, richness within our talent from musicians to models to performers to designers to textile artists to curators to producers. Yeah. Like the fact that we ra- ran and managed the whole thing as well for me was like like a dream come true. So, yeah, that for me was the pinnacle moment. <laughs> what about for you, TJ?
3: We're getting people signed by agencies after they've walked, you know. Yeah. People are getting fashion awards, so recognition. People are getting acquisition. Yeah. So now we're in history books.
2: Talking about stats, we have some stats here that say that the FNFD show made up of over sixty-five percent of fashion week coverage, reaching fifty-five million people via traditional media and twenty-two million people across social media, which is absolutely mind-blowing. I have tingles,
1: mm. <laughs> and we were there. Like I think you know that <laughs> that that whole experience. You said you know you you obviously said you know standing behind backstage, and you know there was a standing ovation, and everyone was crying watching the sand. Passed through their hands, and it was such an incredible moment, like something Mm. that we will treasure and Mm. take with us for the rest of our lives. And just, it was an honour for us to be there and to experience such a moment, such a movement, and just the beauty. Yeah, you know, I think there was such rich beauty in what you had created Mm. across the board. You know, (laughs) from from, (laughs) you, you. it was, it was such a special. Well, it takes a
0: team of us. There's so many of us that work together to make this happen like it couldn't happen without the team so yeah we're just really lucky that we've got a good team a great team
2: (laughs) how did the the opportunity come about how did you create it what was the process like of negotiating and, and you know what was that process in the lead up to actually producing the show
0: I think it's been a long time in the making. Um, You know, obviously, Tegan and I have been working on different projects within the country and I think we've always um, aspired to be on a national platform. The negotiations did take quite a while. It's hard to get to the people that we really need to talk to. So I would say that was between 8 and 12 months. Yeah, but its I'm so glad that we, you know, fought hard for a position and a place within Australian Fashion Week because I think it was worthwhile for everybody, including ourselves. So,
3: yeah. Absolutely. And then I thought it was very interesting that, you know, because of COVID, I hadn't seen you for what, oh. eight, 18 months. So we had been doing this, planning this, dreaming together from across the different sides of the country. And then we get together on the ground burst into tears and then suit up and hit the (laughs) ground running and do it and it's like I think together it's lucky we've got each other because we're such a yin and yang but together yeah we we create fire and we ignite ignite things and yeah
0: I definitely feel like we probably we wouldn't have made it this far if we didn't have each other and I think for the fact that we're both volunteering for the organisation because we believe in the in the movement, yeah. um, and we believe that it will grow and become, you know, an established organisation, which it already is. But we just need to get the financial backing. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Look, I mean, you, ta- you that is a, an interesting point that you raise. Obviously, to put on a show um, at Australian Fashion Week, it, it it's an expensive exercise. It doesn't come cheap. You know, you have a lot no. of you've got the production crew, you've got you know the models, you've got the whole lighting, lighting <laughs> camera, oh, lights, camera, action, the whole thing. Yes. Yeah. What did you have to do in order to pull this off? Um, did you have to go out? Do you have sponsors that you were speaking to? Yeah. How much did it cost and, and what was that process like finding the money? Hustle,
0: hustle, hustle. Yeah. There was a lot of hustling, a lot of relationship building, yes. a lot of fundraising from different opportunities.
2: Yeah. Cause I imagine if, you know, so, sort of 12 months out, you, uh, you'd, landed this opportunity or cemented this opportunity now it's like oh my gosh we have to like <laughs> gather the people the funding to make it work was that a stressful 12 months in the lead up to this show
0: what? to be no. honest it wasn't 12 months no out. it yeah. was more like because we had once we got approval yeah it was more like four, four months.
2: months so you raised <laughs>
0: Tens and tens,
2: possibly hundreds—I don't know thousands well, of dollars, hundreds. and hundreds, yeah. hundreds of thousands of dollars. How big was the crew? How many people contributed? I
3: would say you between know, thirty and fifty people put that. Let's say on. yeah, minimum yeah, fifty <laughs> people back of house, yeah. But it's just mainly me, me, and you, sis. We're We're leading sl- it yeah. on yeah.
1: opposite sides of the country, is trying to pull this vision together, mind you. Yeah.
3: Yes. Countless sli- <laughs> sleepless nights. <laughs> Lots of really randomly dreaming together.
2: What makes it work between you two? What is the magic secret
3: source?
0: I think that we respect each other. Mm.
3: Oh, that definitely. so. I, I, I've adopted you as a sister. You, yeah, exactly. you're not allowed to go anywhere. So. <laughs>
0: And I think that we're pretty open with our communication. So, like, if we're pushing each other too much or needing to give each other space, like, I think it probably works for the fact that we aren't living in the same city, to be completely honest, because then... We yearn for each other.
3: Yeah, (gasps) and then... it's hilarious sorry I I, because I'm also a single child so that's why I love creating like families all around the nation so wherever I go I create these little families and and I don't know I think what makes us because we are very very different and I Mm. think that yin and yangness is I think that's why we that's the juice is that we are so different but quite similar
0: yeah yeah and i think the biggest reason is because where we have the same mission mm, yes. for mm-hmm. our people and so this is bigger than us as individuals and so we see this as our purpose is to serve basically yeah, in in creating this platform that we hope to live beyond us because if we had a space like this that existed, we wouldn't have had to create it yeah, and we wouldn't yeah. have to establish these relationships and pave these ways. Like, And I think we owe it to the elders that have gone before us because there has been, you know, the industry has been, you know, Indigenous organisations have been tapping into the industry and establishing businesses and growing, but they haven't had as much traction as what we've had because of social media, because of Black Lives Matters. Yeah, I think that we've been lucky in that sense that we've realised a pocket in time where people are maybe more woke than they have been before that are willing to open their hearts and their minds to this organisation and understand the purpose of it. So for us, the purpose is really about creating self-determination and economic development to Indigenous people across the country, not just urban but remote, so that they don't have to move themselves from their communities to be able to access the fashion industry. So if we can create these gateways, like Tegan said, it's a revolution.
3: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, and the legacy. We always talk about this is the legacy. It's not about us. We're we're carrying the baton of all of our past elders and then we're just continuing it for the next generation. Yeah. Yeah. And we're lucky there's a hunger. That's what totally. I'm about. This hunger, yes. hunger for first nations. Yeah.
0: I guess for first nations, fashion and design, we just want to ensure that something like this can exist so that businesses can utilize a platform like this to grow. I think individuals within the industry can definitely grow but sometimes don't feel as supported if they're alienated in a sense or um, singular. You're you're like, where do I go to? Who's experiencing the same difficulties? Who's, you know, like I think that Indigenous fashion is about sharing storylines and it's about community and it's contemporary. So how do we navigate those worlds of culture, fashion, and bring those together to create financial backing for for your businesses, it's, like, not such an easy thing. Mm.
2: Actually, on your website it says we pay equal consideration to the cultural and commercial considerations of our members. What does that mean to you?
3: Well, you think about we can't be creating such commercial products when the authenticity and that beautiful juiciness that's made out on country, made by an elder, or made through you know traditional dyes that can't be mass produced so that can't be made into a commercial mm. product so then not only are we thinking about one we can't be working with their mob until we're invited we're not just rocking up to communities and doing these workshops when we're getting invited then we're working with you know traditional owners and elders and then we're starting to work with the people within the families, within the art centres. So it's starting to build, you know, this relationship building and start working on, you know, building it from the ground up. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It's quite a sensitive thing because Mm. you can Mm. see with collaborations going skyrocketing at the moment. I swear nearly every week something's coming out. I want to buy something. I'm getting so excited. (laughs) But at the same time, me and Grace talk about, you know, there's no policies here. There's mm. no standard contracts around collaboration right now. So what is the standard? Is it just, you know, the artists are getting paid for their artwork? Are uh, they getting paid royalties? Because I can't even imagine, you know, with the, the mass production, when you're working with major brands that do the artists understand that royalties actually could be more than the lump sum. Um, mm. yeah, it's, it's quite huge at the moment, but it's also very exciting.
2: Is your aspiration to work in the organisation full-time? Is that the long-term vision that you can be paid for this work and you can continue to kind of like, (laughs) you know, continue to to do this amazing work full-time?
0: I think we're we're doing it already. (laughs) Like I think we're already working within the organisation full-time. I have my own company. So my company is Grace Lillian Lee Productions. And that's really a service and an art practice, I guess, that I've been running for the past five to six years. But because I've got that track record, it's enabled us to get the funding to start up FNFD. So that's really how we started First Nations Fashion and Design. Um, in 2019 was with the backing of Arts Queensland um, for us to run a pilot program. Well, at that time it was only me running a pilot program with UTS to help for designers start their own collections and one of those designers is Alvarina Johnson. So I would like to see TJ is the CEO and then I'm the chair and just recently within the planning session we learned that I'm an executive chair because I work within the organization and realistically TJ's a COO which is a chief operations no wait yep. yeah yeah that yeah. yeah. you got it right that one <laughs> yeah right so because right. the whole time we were definitely like what are we we're just everything yeah <laughs> yeah so to pl- and that's to be completely honest we are doing all the all things that, yeah. and even yeah. within these planning sessions our supporters are like you've got to think top level like mm-hmm. how are you like think of the dream and because they kept asking well what do you need and, when, da, 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 da. and it's like well well this is what Tegan and I like our capacity but we've obviously got to learn to grow and that's obviously letting go but at the same time like when you're a small organization that you know, that's a non-for-profit. We're hustling hard to just find money to deliver projects. We're not profiting to be able to pay anyone's wages yet, which is problematic. And so that's definitely, you know, Tegan's been really pushing to find that. But at the same time, you know, we both run our own small businesses. So like, I you know, Tegan has her own label and then I have, you know, I sell my weaves, but I also have an art practice. So I've got to like, Try to compart- We both have to compartmentalize how to like still have a position within the industry and keep those businesses running, but also run the non for profit. So it's difficult, but I think that
3: it'll be worth it in the end. <laughs> the reason why there is such a passion behind it is because we are both designers. We've mm-hmm. both been in this industry. We've both seen the lack, the gapping, we know what was missing, we know where the gap was, we know what needed to be done, so we've done it and essentially we know we have put our businesses on hold. Yeah. It's just, yeah, the dream is is that, yeah, having both of them sustainably running is the dream.
1: What's been the biggest lesson that you've both learned over the course of the journey together
3: I'm going to say flexibility. I've had to learn to be very flexible, not only learning as a new mother, but being with COVID and, you know, you can't plan anything <laughs> essentially. <laughs> and so, yeah, so over the last two years we've, hey, how many times we've had to, we're walking into, well, as the original pilot, how many times we had to move it backwards, you know, just yeah. learning to be flexible with COVID and understanding mm. that, Yeah in these crazy times that you can still triumph?
0: I think what I've learned from a business perspective is that you should get people on that know, like (laughs) specialize in areas that can support you. So invest in having an accountant and a bookkeeper. I've had people that have surrounded me that, you know, have helped me definitely throughout the journey. And I might sound like a control freak, but I I really do think it pays for people that are running their own business to at least understand, understand what's going on. You know, numbers don't sing to me, but at the same time, you know, I think that my financial literacy is definitely getting better. And I think that it's really good to have a better understanding of where you're going rather than just being negligent. And it will definitely... So it doesn't bite you in the butt, basically. I think that it's really important to surround yourself with people that do specialise in certain areas that can work with you and that you can subcontract on. I think that that's really important because the tax office is never going to go away.
1: <laughs>
0: as much as we'd yeah. like it to. No. Yeah. yeah. That's what I've learned basically. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what would you say each other's biggest strength is?
3: I don't know. I love your creativeness. I, I love just how how you <laughs> yeah. ah oh, you do. You create such magic when you dreamed of stuff. You know it was always my dream to walk a Grace Lynn Lee show. And I, I did it this year.
0: Oh, TJ. <laughs> <laughs> um What I think um, TJ's greatest strength has been, I think she's grown a lot since I first met you from like, I don't know, like you've just grown to be this boss bitch (laughs) 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 that knows how to hustle and she gets shit done. So she's been the most, administratively you have just like, I don't know anyone else quite like you (laughs) Um, (laughs) that has delivered on, on all these outcomes. But I think in terms of what I love about TJ is that she's the best hype woman in the world. So she encourages everyone and sees the best in everyone. And, you know, you got a heart of gold that look at us, we're just like, having a little <laughs> makeout session here on Lady Brain. <laughs> having a moment. Having a
1: moment. I just didn't want to interrupt no, that. <laughs> we could, let, we could let, that go, that, let that Let that roll for a while. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. Do you guys
2: feel like there's momentum and there's a mm-hmm. real shift happening? Definitely
3: snowballing. Yeah. It's snowballing.
0: Yeah, I think Tegan and I, like, it's taken a lot of resilience from both of us to keep pushing, but also being patient and just navigating this world of different stakeholders and different relationships to really grow First Nations fashion and design. And I think that we're definitely at a point within the organization where we are feeling like we're now having the conversations we're wanting to have with Mm -hmm. organizations to really elevate the organization appropriately, which is like backing first nations fashion and design so
2: beautiful well thank you so much it's been so amazing chatting with you Mm. and it was so fantastic to meet you guys earlier in the year at fashion week and you know we just want to say thank you for producing such a beautiful show and a beautiful experience and we look forward to seeing what you what you guys do in the future and we're here to support we love you guys
0: (laughs) thank you so much for for having us you're very welcome
2: (laughs) One thing that really stood out for us is just how much these two back each other, no matter what. It's a really nice reminder that surrounding yourself with positive and supportive people, whether that's a business partner, an accountability buddy, a coach, or even a friend, has a huge impact not only on your success as a founder, but perhaps even more importantly, on your happiness along the way. Who is that person for you? Secondly, having a strong purpose or reason for being is so critical if you're going to go the distance. Grace and TJ were working in this space for a decade before they landed the opportunity to showcase at Fashion Week. The only thing that kept them going was, as TJ said, their dedication to the cause, to create opportunities for the First Nations community within fashion. That is, their purpose. If you're not 100% clear on your purpose, ask yourself the questions what impact do I want to have on the world? What change do I want to see and make? That's it for today. If you're listening to these chats and feel super inspired to start a business, then check out our free Idea Validation mini course. It's a six-step guide that will help you determine whether your idea has potential to become a thriving business. You can find it at ladybrains.com or find the link in the show notes.